up. <laughs> the title of my sermon today is Ancient Words Still Good Advice and the subtitle is which a lot of times I guess in the olden days they had subtitles to sermons but mine is Who Do You Really Worship? And uh, we're going to be going between the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, but the main part will be in Deuteronomy after I give you a little bit of history. And Deuteronomy is interesting. This is the um, Hebrew word for, I guess, is Hadab Harim, I guess. I don't speak Hebrew. But it's interesting what it means. It means the words. And this takes place entirely on the plains of Moab, due east of Jordan and the River Jordan. And that's a view of that area. And the events of the book of Deuteronomy cover just one month. And it was written at the end of the 40-year period of the wilderness, and it dates back to 1405 B.C., and as you remember, a new generation of Israelites were about to enter the promised land. And most of the people that had fled Egypt with Moses had died in the wilderness. And they were told to enter the land, and there's a description of what they were supposed to do in Numbers chapter 13, because we're going to be in there for a little while before we go over to Deuteronomy. And... You might recall that Moses selected, or they selected, 12 spies, one from each tribe, and they were to go spy out the land. And these are the directions that Moses gave to them. It says, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said to them, Go up this way into the south, and go up to the mountains, and see what the land is like whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forced there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went into the land, and they spied it out, and they were there for 40 days. And they brought back examples of the fruit for Moses to see. And of course, after this mission, and for those of you who work in a job, you probably know you have to give a report. And so they had a report to give, and it starts in uh, verse 27 of chapter 13. And the report started out saying, then they told him, talking about Moses, and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. But things started to change in terms of the report, as you may remember. Nevertheless, this is in verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large, Moreover, they saw the descendants of Anak there, 
And Anak, those people were very large. They were considered what we would call giants. And it says, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwelled in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Well, Caleb knew that the report was starting to get a little negative. So he started to make his comments in verse 30. And he said, if I can get this to go. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. I left my water back here. Excuse me for a second. I always found it really interesting that when you do public speaking, all of a sudden your mouth just goes dry. So anyway, Caleb said, we're able to overcome this. Let's go up and possess the land right now. But there were still some negative attitudes there from the other 10, and they were having an influence on the crowd. And so they went on to say in verse 31 through 33, and notice Caleb was very short and to the point in what he had to say. Let's go take care of this right quick. But they said, the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land though which we had, we had gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the peoples whom we saw in it were men of great stature. There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Yeah, well, you know, really, a grasshopper is about this big. And if you put a grasshopper next to you, they're basically saying the people were there were probably two, 300 feet tall. A little bit of an exaggeration, but you can see that uh, there was a bit of a problem there. And so as a result of their report, they started to have rebellion in the camp, and they talked about returning to Egypt, which I don't think they were really thinking straight when they think about what uh, Egypt was like. So... The congregation, they all lifted up their voices and they cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword? And our wives and our children should become victims would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Man, what unthankfulness. I mean, their rebellion was not just against Moses. It was against God himself. And these are the people that had gone through the, the ten plagues. They were subject to three of them, but the other seven hit only the Egyptians. And so God had worked many miracles for them. Well, the response was, God was a little upset with them, and he was going to destroy them and start over with Moses. But he didn't, because Moses interceded and pleaded for Israel. But they didn't get off easy. As you well know, anybody that was 20 years old or older was not going to see the promised land. So anybody 19 or younger was going to get a chance to see it. And the only people from that original group that were going into the promised land were who? 
Joshua and Caleb. So these two guys were the only ones out of all of those people. And you know, they're with the mixed multitude and the Israelites, there are over a million people. That's like winning the lottery. I mean, the odds were, were really against them. So that kind of gives us a little bit of background because now we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and <clears throat> Moses is reminding a new generation that are about to go into the promised land. And um, in verses, or I should say chapters 2 and 3, Moses goes over what happened in the wilderness and talked a little bit about their years in the desert, the battles they went through, how the land was going to be divided up. And Moses also pleaded in those chapters to go into the promised land. But as close as he got was Mount, I guess it's Pujah. Is that the correct pronunciation for anybody that knows Hebrew? And that is a, a view of that mount that overlooks the promised land. Now, does that look like a land flowing with milk and honey to you? It's desert now. But back in those days, it was a very green place. And you saw a depiction of what uh, the things look like, the fruits that came from that land. So the climate has really changed over there for the worse. But because of his disobedience, which was found in chapter um, 20, verses 11 and 12 of, of Numbers, that told us why Moses couldn't go into the promised land. Does anybody remember why he couldn't? Right, the Israelites wanted water. God told them to do what? Speak to the rock, and he struck the rock. And for, it just goes to show you how high the standard is for leadership because God said, you're not going in just for that mistake. feel kind of bad for Moses, but really, he came out really good in that deal because he died, right? And then what happened? He was resurrected. And we know he was resurrected because we saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus. So I think Moses did pretty well instead of going in uh, with the Israelites, which things didn't always go so well for them. So when he was going to give the direction, he said, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God, um, <clears throat> God of your fathers is giving you. So... <clears throat> Now, remember, the laws that they had to deal with, first of all, was the law that was given on Mount Sinai. So they had that law. But he talks about the statutes, and the statutes were a little different. Let me back up on that. The statutes were referring to the civil code, and the judgments referred to the administration of the statutes, particularly when we're talking about judicial decisions. And in verse 2, he warned them not to add anything, not to subtract anything from the things that he told them. And in verse 5, he says, Surely I have taught you the statutes and the judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them 
in the land which you possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all of these statutes and say, surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people. So he did not want them to change, and it was vital that he follow those things, that they follow all of the commandments and statutes, because they were to be a witness to all the nations around. It's interesting when you ask people, why were the Jews the chosen people? And they just look at you. Well, because they were. God liked them. No, they were chosen to spread the gospel or the news of salvation to the world. And if they had done that, that nation would have been blessed beyond all the other nations of the world. That's why they were chosen. And so it was important for them to set a good example, just like it's very important for us to set a good example today. <clears throat> Now, as we went on, verses 7 through 14 talks about how the Lord interacted directly with the people. Now, you have to remember why he was going over all of these things. The majority of the people that had left Egypt had died. And this is a new group of people. Anybody that was 19 years old at the time that that, uh, if you want to call it a curse, was pronounced, would be plus 40 years old, they would have been 59. And then, of course, there would have been people that would have been born in the wilderness that didn't know about all these things unless somebody told them. So Moses was recounting all of these things that had happened, especially for the ones that hadn't been born or hadn't seen these things. But then, as he goes on into verse 15, he changes and starts talking about warnings against idolatry. <clears throat> And he became very specific when he did this. For instance, in verses 15 and 16, he talked about how God had manifested himself on Mount Horeb. And there was, when they saw him manifest himself, there was no image or likeness for them to see of any kind so that they would not make a likeness to God. Now remember, they had already made a calf and worshiped previously. So God did not want them worshiping anything uh, any kind of likeness. And he went into more detail and said, in addition to uh, the situation on Mount Horeb where he didn't show them anything so that they wouldn't make anything, he said, no animals, no birds, don't make anything like that. In verse 18, he said, nothing that creeps on the earth, nothing that swims in the ocean. And then he looked up and said, and nothing that's up in the sky, no sun, no moon, no stars. He wanted to be sure that they were only worshiping what they were supposed to worship. And in verse 23, Moses reminds them again and says, God is warning you not to fall into idolatry. And of course, if you know the history, they did anyway, but that's a different story. And he points out in verses 24, God does not tolerate split affections. He said, I'm a jealous God. I'm the only thing that you're going to worship. Then verses, verse 25 warns them, it says, when they have grown old in the land, once they've moved into the land, and the King James Version says, remain long. And so I looked this up in the commentary and I said, I'll oh, see what they mean. 
And it actually means something a little different. It means fallen asleep, which talked about the nation's spiritual life becoming dull. And guess what? Falling into idolatry. And, of course, this would have arose anger in God. So what would happen if they failed to follow all these commands? Well, verses 26 through 28, which we're not going to read, tells what would happen to them if they did. Now, one moment, please. Some of you might say, okay, that's a nice bit of history. What does that have to do with me today? And maybe some of you are even starting to nod off. And one of the things that I always like to do is I, I like to teach, especially when I was teaching down in the children's section, is what does this have to do with me? It happened so long ago. It's not relevant for me today. First, I want to do a couple of de definitions. And I don't know if you can see these from there. I tried to make them as large as possible. But what is an idol anyway? And it says here, an object of extreme devotion. And then they have some other examples. And then um, another one is worship. Because what's an idol for? They worship them. You remember in Daniel, they talked about worshiping the gods of gold and silver and wood and all that. That got Babylon in trouble, so it gets everybody in trouble. So to worship something means to honor it, to show reference, especially when you're talking about a divine being. But it could also mean to, to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, and devotion. So we would think, oh, we're not going to you know, worship all those things that they did back in those days. I mean, come on, get serious. When you think about an example of the Egyptian gods, these, this is a, an artist's rendition of some of the Egyptian gods, like Anubis and Horus. And you notice that they're kind of half people, half animals. So the Egyptians had their problems, and you could go around the world and you can find all kinds of gods. You go to India and there's like thousands of them. And, but we would never worship anything like this. Egypt itself is primarily Muslim now. Uh, I'm sure there's some people out there that are still worshiping these gods, but they've kind of fallen out of favor. But worshiping idols is all about priorities. And D Dwight L. Moody said, Anything that you love more than God is an idol. Now, how do we tell if we love something more than God? Well, basically, do you spend time with that thing or do you spend more time with God? What is the priority? So let's take a look at some of the things. Television. And all these things can, I won't say all of them, but some things can be good things. But TV, if you are spending more time watching TV than you're studying the Bible, that's an idol if it's more of a priority. And television has a lot of bad stuff on it. This is actually a television show. How many of you were aware of that? And, I mean, there's some dark stuff on television. Or sports can be your idol. It might not be football. It might be World Cup soccer. Soccer. Or it might be that game that's happening today. It's Sabbath and you just want to turn on the radio to see what the score is or check your phone. It's just for a second. Or it could be something on the radio. Like I just put hip hop up there, but it could have been rock, country, whatever, techno music or whatever. 
I had another picture up there before, but I didn't realize that one of the guys was giving everybody the finger, so I took that one down. But uh, I like to, when I get, especially in your big cities, I will check the radio dial, and I'll say, Satan, 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 Strong Tower, there we go. <laughs> I mean, you just watch, just listen to the music sometime. You will not hear much from God at all. Um, no wonder they call Satan the prince of the year. Or amusements. Amusements are getting pretty expensive. And I've been to Cedar Point before. But um, if these types of things are replacing what God's will is for you, then it's an idol. Might as well admit it. Superheroes. You'd be surprised how many hidden messages there are in superhero movies. And that's the big thing right now. This is one from Superman. Does that look familiar? I have a whole series on uh, Hollywood and um, the things that the superhero movies are doing. They're basically replacing Christ. Or we now have things like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, etc., 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 etc. The devil has all kinds of things lined up to take your time away from what you should really be doing. And uh, I'll, I'll admit it, I do some binge watching on Netflix, but I'm, I'm so, I try to be selective in what I watch. But of all the ones up here, Amazon's the one I like the most because there are lots of biblical movies on there. And good ones, too, especially if you're a history buff like me and you love the Reformation. I don't think there are too many people that are big on the Reformation, but uh, I am. And then, of course, there, you could go to video stores, and there's a video store that we used to go to called Family Video. So I thought, oh, Family Video should be good. They have a room for X-rated movies. Is there a place for that in the Family Video store? Or, as you've watched over the years, uh, there used to be one called Video to Go around here. And over the years, I watched the videos. They got darker and darker and darker. It's amazing what's out there now. Of course, what you're reading can make a difference, too. And I remember um, when I was a Sabbath school teacher in juniors that I used to spend time and ask all the kids, what have you been doing for the week, just to find out what was up? And one of the uh, young people said, oh, I've been reading this new series of books about vampires. And I said, do you think that's something that Christians should be reading? And she didn't say anything. And anyway, that person's no longer in church. Kind of sad. So what children are reading, and it's interesting that public schools will accept Harry Potter because it gets kids to read. But you take a Bible up in there, and oh my goodness, everybody gets turned upside down. This is what you should be doing. That kind of reminded me of Josh. <laughs> is Josh here today? <clears throat> Your career can make a difference. And especially when it comes to the Sabbath. I was fortunate when I worked for MSU. I set my own schedule, so I just didn't schedule anything on Sabbath. And I, I just told people, I don't do that. I'll be happy to do stuff on Sunday, but not on Sabbath. But some people do have issues with Sabbath, and you have some that will um, work with their employer and say, I will walk away from this job before I will break Sabbath. 
And others, they'll say, oh, I need this job. So, but your career can make a difference, and one of the reasons is people want money. And money's nice. It can be helpful. And money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So if your endeavors in life are chasing money all the time, and your plans for what you're going to do is all about money, money is your idol. Even family can be an idol. If your family needs are above what God wants you to do, it's an idol. Now, God does want you to take care of your family, but they can be a problem. And I like this one. I like this one so much, I put three slides in here. There's one, there's two, there's three. This is changing our society more than anything. And people will be checking sports scores. You, they might say, well, you know, I look everything up on the Bible on this. And you can do that. But you can also be on Facebook. Or you can be playing games. Maybe it's a real boring sermon to you. But really, what is worship about? Is it about you? No. Worship is about God. He wants your undivided attention. We don't realize how important worship is and how it's, it pleases God to have worship, but I don't think it pleases him too much if you're watching puppy videos. And the reason I bring all these things up is for people to identify where you are in your spiritual life because you realize we're going through probation right now. And judgment is taking place right now as we speak. And it will close one day. We don't know when, but it will close one day. And we're going through our period of time where you are to go through the sanctification process. You guys remember that when Jesus died for your sin and you accept him as your savior, what is that called? Justification. Sanctification is that process where you are settling into the truth. And that settling into the truth is the seal of God. So we can't be sanctified if we're doing all this other stuff. The question is, who are you going to serve? God knows who you're serving. You might deceive yourself for a while, but we do know this. Jesus is coming soon. So we have to be prepared. So we need to set our priorities on preparing. It's a daily thing. And parents especially have the responsibility to help prepare their young children. And time is going to run out one day. Something is going to happen that's going to change everything, just like the morning of September 11th. There was a big change in how the world worked. And, and I could talk all day about all the big changes that happened in the world as a result of September 11th. One day, something's going to happen that's going to change the whole paradigm of our society, and you aren't going to have a lot of time to get ready. So what I would like you to take away from this, this uh, presentation today is what are your priorities in life? And if you don't have the right priorities, change them. We talked about choice in Sabbath school today. We have the choice. If you're not in heaven, 
It's not going to be because of what Christ didn't do. It's because you either made an active choice or you made a passive choice not to be there. And the passive choice is letting everything else get in the way. May the Lord bless each and every one of you. And I want to see all of you, every one of you in heaven. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, there's so many things that get in our way of knowing you. We pray that your Holy Spirit will work on our hearts and help us to desire to study your word, not just read it, study it, go deeply. We ask you to us, help us to seek out your will for our life in everything that we do. We pray, Lord, that you will forgive us for being asleep and being a lukewarm church. When I joined this church in 1982, I thought the world was going to end then. But we're now 37 years closer. And I think that as we look at the events today, we're more close than we want to admit. Please, Lord, help each and every person realize their spiritual situation and that they will resolve today to take it one day at a time to change and to continue in that sanctification process. Because one day we'll move from that to glorification. And I pray that each and every person here will be there. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.